Hi everyone, this is episode two of season four and today I have Roy McLaughlin back with me. Hi Roy. Morning everyone, how are we all? I think we're all very, very good Roy and uh, I will let you share your wonderful news right after we get through the, the initial jingle. So today we are going to be talking about objection handling, the kinds of barriers you might face and what to do if you have a client that is really not taking on board what you are saying. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Roy, I know you've got some incredibly exciting news that I'm sure quite a lot of listeners will um, find uh, find very, very uh, interesting. Whereas I just went, oh, when you told me. But uh, go on then. What do you, well, what also, you I, guess, I, guess by the time this, I guess by the time this is published, we'll either be out or in, but I've managed to just procure a ticket for uh, Wednesday semi-final against Denmark. So uh, uh, some of some of our listeners will be uh, envious and others will just go, so what? I get that. So, yeah. I think I think quite a few people are starting to get really com- camaraderie with it now. So you know, <laughs> I, th- I think there'll be quite a few people who go, oh, I can't believe he's got that, the jammy so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> but how are you? By, the, by your football, it's been a while since we've had a chat. How are you doing? Yeah, no, all, all, all's fine in the all's, uh, all's, all's dandy in protection world. And uh, I'm starting to sense that uh, that our... I know we're going to talk about objections in a minute, but our beloved subject of underwriting is going to start getting a bit uh, easier. So let's uh, let's hope that's that's our green shoots in our own little world, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, for anybody who is listening who isn't sure, I'm sure a lot of people will be. But in in terms of the underwriting, um, the restrictions that have been in place with a lot of insurers due to COVID uh, are starting to either be completely removed or at least lessened, which is is absolutely fantastic. Um, something I think that we've all been really hoping would happen and um and yeah it's a it's it's a really good thing and something i will say to people as well is make sure that people that you've spoken to in the last year or so if you've arranged them the insurance or if you've sort of like had to say to them well let's just wait a bit get back to them as quick as you can because now is the opportunity to start really um getting on board with these things so over to objection handling so i think objection handling has to be one of the sort of the key things that I think a lot of advisors find confusing. So it's, it's no secret I'm starting a new training course um, soon this week. And obviously when, when this is going live, I'll be on day two. And um, hopefully everybody will still be uh, entertained and engaged because the first session is two hours of compliance. So I, I do apologize for to everybody who signs up to the course that it's going to be, but it's over and done with, gets it over and done with. But anyway, and one of the things that people said to me when I was like doing a little bit of, you know, sort of like putting out some feelers is things like objection handling and what to do. And I think it's, it's hard because when you build a brilliant recommendation and you give all the details about what somebody needs, they might turn around and say to you, well, that's all well and good, but it's not what I want. And I think that can be quite hard because an advisor would just like, one of the things I always say to people in the very first phone call, you know, when we do our regulatory spiels and everything, when there's been telephone based, it's like a script thingy that we have to do, make sure it's everything. I always say to them, no matter what, you're going to tell me what you want. I'm here to tell you what you need. And we're going to have to either, we'll either do what you need or we'll have to come with some, probably some kind of a compromise <laughs> as to what's going to work out. But I know, and I can I know good examples in the protection space. I think probably a lot of people listening will probably know that as well. But I don't know how it works in like the, the wealth and the pension space, Roy. I find that quite interesting is to, do you really get objection handling? I suppose in the wealth and investment side, I imagine you maybe get some objection handling. But uh, I can't imagine, I know pensions, I just can't imagine it as a thing of, well, yeah, let's just do it in a sense. But I'm assuming I've got that completely wrong. <laughs> 
I only wish I only wish it was that easy. Uh, listen, things have changed in the pensions world, but um, having done this job for as long as I have, I would say that this. And it's funny, we'll talk about protection shortly. But the same objections just come round and round like Haley's comet, and it's the same thing people were saying to me twenty years ago. They're saying now on pensions. I guess probably your biggest objection was always the uh, either I'm too young for a pension mm. or my property is my pension. Okay, and I still hear both of those things now um, on investments. Uh, you know, it's you're trying to encourage people to pay save into ISAs, and they might say, "Well, no, all I want to do is save up for a house." Um, so it's you know it, it is cyclical, but it's the same principle and it's the same psychological uh, answer um, to objection handling in, in whatever strand of financial services that you're in. And I think what's really important for us advisors is to put ourselves firmly in the shoes of the consumer. And think about what they're actually saying when they're making that objection. And sometimes, are they actually asking you the question that they mean? Mm. No, absolutely. I think that's good. I think one of the things that I do when I'm doing my training is, again, from sort of the start when I'm training advisors, I always say, when you're going to start doing your recommendations and things like that, it's like, what is the trigger? You know, with this consumer, what has made them be open to this conversation and start this conversation? And there's usually there is a trigger of some sort. So... You know, it could be, um, you know, like you just said, you know, it could be that they've got a mortgage and they're suddenly thinking, right. So it's a case of, so how do we then chain if somebody's then kind of, mm, I'm not so sure, should I do that? And it's a case of making it, well, I'm sure we'll chat through it more as we're going along through this conversation, but it is about trying to make it relatable. And, and I always think as well, you can go with the best recommendation in the world. You could do the absolute all singing, all dancing. This person's going to be looked after the rest of the life recommendation. If, if I've touched world, but you know, if the worst was to happen, but if the person doesn't get it, then you've not done in a sense, the job right as the advisor. But I think there are still some exceptions there where we also need to give advisors a little bit of a break sometimes. And I'll, I'll come on to that a little bit later, but as an advisor, I think that there's, Actually, just going back then, so what kind of questions, Roy, what, what kind of questions are you thinking that people should be asking? On, on pensions or protection or? Well, well, anything. I know you're saying other people asking the, you know, the right question of you as an advisor. How do you, so somebody comes to you and so, I mean, obviously for in me in the protection space, it's in a sense yeah. it's quite clear. If someone comes to me and says, I want critical illness cover, I want to know that if something happens, my monthly bills are going to be paid. And it's like, well, actually we mean income protection. We don't mean critical illness cover. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe critical illness to some extent, but actually what you're saying there is income protection. So let's go back and talk about okay. what these products actually are. So I suppose for you, you know, what kind of things and like the, you know, if I were to come to you and as a, for pensions advice and ask you something and what would you maybe be, what the kind of things would be sort of you saying, well, actually, I think we're starting this from the wrong mindset or something. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you've, you've sort of just hit the nail on the head people have got to relate to things otherwise they're never going to engage and if we just take pensions to start off with the best way for most of us to relate to a pension is actually to look at our parents situation okay because when people are in their 20s or 30s or early 40s it's likely that your parents hopefully are still, are still around are going to be in their you know 60s uh, maybe 70s and one of two things is going to happen either they're going to be in a financial situation where they've got a good pension and actually, you'll look at them at your, as, as a son or daughter going, oh, that's great. Our parents are going to be well looked after in their retirement. I would like to be that when I'm that age. Mm. Okay. Or conversely, you might have a situation where you're actually starting to worry about your parents and you're thinking, I just know that they haven't got enough money to retire on. So you might have heard them say things like, uh, I can't retire now. I'm, I'm going to have to put my retirement back. Or I'm really worried about what we're going to live on when we retire. And again, if you think about that, the answer to that one is exactly the same. You're probably looking at yourself going, I don't want to be in that situation when I get to that age. 
So I think it's always important to make um, any financial decisions as real as possible. And there's nothing more real than looking at the, your surroundings. And to your point, you know, a lot of people will approach you and I about protection because something's happened to someone that they know. Um, and, uh, you know, it's another reason why we should, we, sh we should tell all our claim stories out loud. But, you know, think about putting yourself in the, in the customer's shoes. And also, before we talk at people, it's really important to work out why someone would have an objection to something like a pension. So, for example, lots of people in their 20s will say, I'm too young to take a pension out. What you've got to think about is what do they mean by that? Um, and, uh, and just explore what they're really saying. Um, and it's, it's probably that they just have forgotten the, the concept of compound growth and, 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 and how the important years were a pensioner when you're younger. So you have to steer them. OK, um, and there's no phrase uh, that, that's much, much uh, used over the years, but it's as relevant now as it is ever before, which is sell, don't tell. OK, and I think sell, don't tell in any manner of financial services is still really important. If you tell somebody something, OK, it's well, sometimes it's bordering pat patronizing, but actually they're not working it out for themselves. And, and another little tip I'd give to all our listeners is if you're unsure that a client is, is, is understood what you're explaining to them, and I don't care what the subject is, ask them to explain it back to you. Yeah. And I think that's a really clever tip. Because what I say to people is, look, if you can't explain it back to me, the fault is with me, it's not yeah. with you, because I haven't explained it properly. And Catherine, I'm sure you've been there. When they start explaining it, you realise what you haven't told them, you, and you get it straight away, don't you? you go, oh, sorry, what I actually meant was that. And then, then the client gets it as well. Yeah. And then actually, you're, you're on home straight, so to speak. Absolutely. I also think as well that that sometimes happens even more so with people who are already maybe in the financial services space as well, because you kind of at first kind of assume that they have sort of like a bit of a certain level of knowledge. So I kind of always, you know, really personally say to myself, this person doesn't know anything about protection insurance. Or I've even had people come to me who are in protection insurance space. And then it's a case of me explaining why I'm doing it a certain way compared to what they would have maybe traditionally wanted to do. And, um, and it can be very, very, you know, that one can be really interesting because then you kind of having to balance between right okay I don't want to talk to this person as if they don't know anything because they actually know quite a lot but at the same point they've come to me for a reason and yeah. um, and it's important but I think that goes on quite nicely to the next bit I was wanting to chat about because I think with advisors there's a really fine balance that we need to walk on you know between making people aware and hitting home how important these policies are and then obviously going into the scaremongering territory I mean that's obviously there's always this big thing you know when you're an advisor do not scaremonger you know, and I think a, a good example of that is, you know, you can pose maybe some challenging questions to people and say, right, OK, if you didn't have this insurance in place, you know, um, what what do you have in place to be able to, if you can't work, say if we talk about income, if you can't work, what savings do you have in place so that you can stay in your family home? And, yeah. you know, if you're unable to work, so there's things like that instead of, you know, you can't do the scaremongering, which is, you know, along the lines of your children and your wife are going to get kicked out of your house in three months time if you don't do this you know that it that's quite an extreme example but it is something to just make sure that people yeah i mean it's, it's it's really important that people get this because this is such an important point that they get the fact that a disturbance technique is absolutely fine and ethical and moral and there was no problem with using disturbance techniques absolutely what you're saying is we shouldn't be using scaremongering and i don't think anyone left in this industry does or well, hopefully they don't um so the disturbance, you've just got to get your head around. And you've got to realise, particularly when you're talking about protection, that we are talking about 
uh, horrible things happening to people. And you've got to be brave. And I think people will look at your reaction um, and they'll see how you talk about it to realise what your importance is and then how important it is to them. So a great example is we've, and we've done lots of uh, uh, mortgage-related podcasts, haven't we? Mm. And we've talked to, with several people about the, you know, if you just asked a protection question right at the end of the process, almost yeah. as an afterthought, okay, the clients look at you going, well, it's not important to, 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 to this guy because he's asked it right at the end, so therefore yeah. it's not important. Whereas I think the best mortgage uh, brokers um, that, that deal in protection will bring it up pretty much at the start. So again, the client's going, ah, right, this is clearly important to this person, therefore it must be an important subject. And I think that's not a scaremongering tactic, that's a disturbance tactic, but in a positive way, not yeah. in a negative way. Oh, absolutely. And I think because um, I've had some people ask me, starting in the market space, you know, with me doing this training and that they're sort of saying, well, I'm just wanting to know how to bring the protection conversation in and, and all this stuff. And for me, it's that kind of mindset of going as, you know, obviously as an advisor, just going, if you're doing a mortgage, you're doing protection insurance. There's no ifs or buts about it. You know, at the very yeah. least, you're looking at the life insurance. It's a massive debt. So it's yeah. just right up there, straight statement. I'm going to do your mortgage. I'm also going to do the life insurance. And it's just straight away, we're getting it all sorted. Yeah. I think, I think peculiarly, um, there's a good word for, for, for a morning. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't spell it, so don't ask me to spell it. But I think, I think uh, let's say strangely, um, the COVID crisis has actually changed a bit of mindset here. Um, I think that a lot of, particularly some of the younger younger listeners out there had this indestructibility mm. uh, part to them you know it won't happen to me and that's let's face it the biggest objection to protection is, is it won't happen to me I think there can't be anybody listening to this podcast who hasn't been touched in one way or the other by this dreadful situation but I think it has questioned our indestructibility throughout the age range yeah. okay and I think that um, this therefore gives an opportunity I have to say to be able to have that discussion in a way that maybe you thought that you couldn't have before. But again, the psychological side of our business, I think, is, is, is fascinating. If that's not prevalent in that broker's head, okay, then that question is not going to be asked. And I think that it also leads us on to a subject that I know we're going to talk about, which is assumption, okay? And I think sometimes when I've spoken to, and I've been, like you, I've been around the country and spoken to literally thousands of advisors, the assumptions that the advisors make are sometimes the reason why protection doesn't get sold. Um, and I think that the two greatest assumptions on income protection, which is a subject after my own heart, is, is, oh, don't worry, he or she is covered by their workplace or he or she is covered by the state. Um, yes. And they're definitely, um, um, they're definitely the things that are obviously... Well, you and I know factually yes. those assumptions are wrong, okay? But you've got to be able to go out and talk to people about why they're wrong and give them the evidence that they're wrong. And actually, what I've just said was the blueprint for Seven Families campaign because we were very, very aware of the fact that it was advisors that had those assumptions, let alone the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the thing I was going to chat about next when we talk about case studies. And obviously, I know you were really, really involved with the, the seven families and they're absolutely phenomenal examples. And it's things that I have said this before and I'll say this again to people who are listening, set, you know, set the seven families videos of those, you know, as training for your team and for yourself, because they are incredibly powerful and it really hits home why something like income protection is, is so important. And I think that they... I wouldn't say for people to necessarily show them to clients in a sense as a sort of like a form of objection handling. So again, we're going into kind of maybe a bit of a, it depends. We could be sort of going into yeah, like I mean, bordering. That's, and sort of that's fascinating. When, when we first designed the, 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 the videos, 
I don't think any of us really thought that, that we would be showing them to consumers, but actually the opposite occurred, especially on the group side. Um, and I've shown that video probably as many times as anyone else. Um, and I can, I can say that as long as it's presented and handled in the right way, actually it's a very powerful video to show certain yeah. consumers. I take your point. There are some that you just shouldn't, and you need to think about it and you need to watch the videos and think yeah. about that. But I've certainly, uh, to HR professionals, for example, oh, yeah. shown that, shown that video uh, on numerous occasions. And, um, you know, coming back to my point, uh, you know, the, the, the end of that, the sequence uh, is, well, what do you guys think that you do uh, present um, in terms of long-term sick pay for, for your staff? Yeah. But when you get rooms of HR people putting their hands up going, I'm not absolutely certain of that answer, but now I'm going to find out. Yeah. There was an element of, well, I'm really glad I showed that video because it, that it took that for them to find out about their own, their own, remember, uh, HR procedures. I've done it to insurance companies. I'm not going to name any uh, to embarrass them, but there are several insurers, I can tell you, Catherine, where we did training to. And I asked them to put their hands up and tell me what their sick pay uh, was. OK, and I can promise you there weren't huge amounts of hands in the air. Yeah. And as the people within our industry. Yeah. Um, now, we're not telling anyone off this, but this comes back to my assumption point. There's an assumption that people know what they've got. Yeah. And actually, when we got them to, di to, to dive deep into what they actually had, they kept coming up with this um, wonderful expression at my employer's discretion. Yes. Okay. And if you haven't heard at my employer's discretion, guys, you should have, but you will do, I can assure you. And that is what the, the little uh, the little gem that is written into uh, one hell of a lot of employment contracts. Okay. As an, and as an advisor, that's what you should be doing. You should help him, help him get the employment contract out. Now, I don't know about you, Catherine, but at my employer's discretion, okay, uh, is firstly quite a nebulous term. But secondly, what does that really tell you? Okay, and I think that when you're having a chat with a, someone about their protection, um, you should say, what do you really think that means? Are there any examples? Have you got any anecdotes of people that have been off long term ill? And do you know they have been paid? To which most of the time the answer is no. Yeah. There you've disturbed, you've created the need. And actually, as a byproduct, by the way, uh, you sometimes get group business out of this as well. Yes, absolutely. The, the ability to suddenly develop group business is actually quite, quite often in many ways when you're chatting about things but now I'm, I'm completely the same you know one of the things that we ask in our fact finds is do you have any death in service do you have any sick pay um and you know the majority of the time it is that maybe somebody has a month or two um you know obviously people in the um i was getting the public sector that's it you know they tend to have a lot of sort of like six month or six month half um but you know if it says at my employer's discretion then the conversation I've always ended up having with people and it's kind of like a mutually agreed thing is that that's probably nothing to rely upon. And yeah. um, you probably want to just ignore that in some ways when you're doing the recommendation. Um, I think you should. Yeah. I, th I think also what you should do there, another little sales tip, um, is start creating your own library. Um, most people now will work for a company where all of their HR is on a PDF. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the thing to say to that person at that point is don't worry if you don't know the answer. Can you send me the PDF of your, H, your HR book or whatever yeah. it is? And then gradually, because clients tend to hang around with clients or refer to clients, you could build up your own library, of course. Mm. So, so next time you meet someone from that company, you could say, before we even start this, I know what your, uh, what, what your yeah. sick pay scheme is. Um, and, and that's hence my point. You know, I've, I've had people say to me over the years, yeah, but aren't there HR people going to be a bit miffed that you're looking into their booklet and they're going to think that you're trying to expose them? Quite the opposite. 
Mm. Absolutely. What you tend to find is that sometimes they will say, well, why, why is this guy asking about this? And then they might want to talk to you. And I guarantee you guys, you get group business out of this because um, they will tend to have a, a responsibility themselves. And, mm. and I think what a HR person's absolute nightmare is, is not knowing the answer to that question if someone's off long-term ill, okay? Because you do need to know this. And this segues completely into a subject that uh, you and I have spoken on, on many of these on, which is mental health. Yes. Because we, we both know that the two biggest causes of people being off work are uh, musculoskeletal and mental health issues. So they're going to be asked about this subject. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, when we start going into like the objection handling side of things, how many... I suppose what you know, some people wonder is, well, how many times do I go back? So the kind of objections that we see, like you said, it's like, I'm too young. It's not going to happen to me. It's too expensive. Um, I'd rather spend my money on things that I can enjoy now while I can, you know, things like that, which, you know, it's not necessarily what the way that people we want people to think. But, you know, some people do think that way. I mean, how much would you say go back you know how many objections would you take before you start to think right I'm going to need to tweak what I'm recommending or basically Um, this just isn't working and this person just really isn't listening this this always feels like the quick fire round of question the sport with objections because I can I can handle and answer all those objections that you've got the point here is that I think we owe it to ourselves as advisors to know what the answers to every single point that you've just said is okay right we are professional financial advisors and we should know what all of those answers are and i'm sorry if we don't we need to go and find it find it out that's that's part of our responsibility and many people in our industry talk about the responsibility of advice <laughs> not least the, the regulator mm. and you should know what all those answers are um there are um you know there, there is help out there this is this is obviously something you're going to be doing with your your course that we're all looking forward to but yeah. you know there, there are insurers out there there are there are different places that you can go and get help but i think if you don't know the answer to those quite basic objection handlings one you're doing yourself a disservice but secondly you're doing your client a disservice and, I, and, and i'll just go, go back a, a few sentences as to why Let's say you let the client get off with the objection, I've got it covered at work, okay? And you don't check, you don't verify that that's actually the case. And then that person is off for, let's say, a year from work, okay? And you're sitting down with a family and you're thinking, ah, they, did, they didn't have any, uh, any, any uh, uh, work, any cover at work, and I put N-A in the fact find okay and na guys is the worst thing you can write in any fact find in any section but certainly on on employee benefits how are you going to feel about the fact that you should have just probed that searched it got that hr booklet and i think sometimes letting clients off with na and oh i'll come back to that later oh don't worry about that now we just want to get on with the underwriting we can go back and look at that um is i would say firstly irresponsible but 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 how you can how can look like that person in the eye if they have a claim? So I think you do need to think about the uh, not only the vagaries of objection handling, but also the consequences of not dealing with it in in the correct way. And and the the other one that you've mentioned there that I'll just quickly jump into is because I've heard it from so many advisors, and we did some research a few years ago alongside I think it was Protection Review about the perception of the average cost of income protection. Mm-hmm. And you might remember this, Catherine, but IFAs were saying, oh, it's over £100 a month. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you and I know, the average, pro- the average premium in the UK is £31 a month. It's a pound a day. Okay, So if the problem is with us as advisors, we think it's three times more than it actually is. Yeah. Okay, Who's doing a disservice? 
No, absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree with that. I had, um, I had a little spark of an idea of something you were saying. Oh, that was it. So another reason. Um, so I was saying, obviously, about, you know, with advisors, it's, it's their job to be looking to make sure because you could have devastating consequences for the clients if you don't do the protection side of things. Now, I think on top of that as well, something that people need to be aware of and advice really need to take on board is that I don't think it'll be long before there's devastating consequences for advisors who haven't advised in this area. You know, if you have been, if someone's come to you and you're an advisor and you've looked, you're meant to be looking at all of their protection needs, you know, it's, a, it's that thing, isn't it, between being an order taker and being an advisor. Someone comes yeah. to you wanting life insurance, you do it wonderful, we've done our job that's an order take that's not actually providing advice so if you're an advisor you're advising in all of these areas now whether or not somebody takes up every single policy that you recommend that's that's one thing you know obviously but you should have it documented everywhere as to what you have advised this person and then what they have or haven't chosen to to go with and like you say, if it suddenly has a thing in it saying, you know, not applicable in terms of like the employee benefits, is that a case of, you know, you may not remember a couple of years down the line what you meant by that. Is it that they don't have it and you've checked with them and they don't have it? But then if you've not then gone on and done income protection quotations and tried to advise on that side of things, have you really done a good enough job? If they are then unable to work, could they potentially take you and file a complaint and sue you? Because yeah, but it's, but it's not you. It's not even just that though. It's 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 the looking them in the eyes if yeah. if you haven't probed it. And and look, the the threat of of, of uh, regulatory action has been around since 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 I started in this industry. And and I think the what the regulator will talk to you about is your duty of care. I mean, uh, of course you should be doing this, but I, I would say let's let let's take the threat of uh, threat of people being sued out of this conversation for a minute. It's just the how do you deal with that family? How do you deal with a, the, 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 you know, the widow whose whose husband's just died or, or wife's just died, and, and says to you, "But why didn't you why didn't you cover the debt here that we're now that we're now saddled with, etc., etc., etc." And I think I think you really need to think if you want to be properly in the protection market, you really need to think about the consequences of why we do what we do, and that's why uh, you know the claim stories, whether it's seven families or all the other stories that are, that are told, are really important to think about. And I think what seven families did. Is that actually it disturbed a lot of advisors who came back to um, the income protection task force and said, "Ah, now I get it." Okay, yeah. and that was probably the most used phrase. And there was a little light bulb that went off, or what, whatever it was, it didn't matter. Um, and actually, the results are there to be seen. So I'm not saying that income protection sales went sold out because of seven families. I hasten to add, but you know, we we basically doubled the market in a five year period mainly because people were talking about the subject yeah and i think that's really really important as well even if someone doesn't take out income protection or critical illness whatever it is okay all right as long as to your point as long as you've advised on it and you've had that chat on it okay and documented it then you've done all you can do okay and the other thing that i guess many of us will do is that if budgetary constraints are very very tight mm -hmm. it might be that you set up something now or a multi-plan with smaller amounts and you go back and top up at a later stage, yeah. okay? Because some covers better than no cover, and I think that's sometimes what's what what you know what gets forgotten. And, and I, I guess it's probably I can't believe we spent half an hour haven't mentioned the S word, but this is probably our first shout out for signposting. Yes, because I think if you are in a situation where you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure how to do with some of those objections, or I'm not sure how 
those disturbance techniques or, or where I bring this in, you know, in my fact finder from a mortgage broker or wealth manager or whatever. Okay. I would, uh, you know, come back to signposting and go and marry up with somebody um, out there, a protection specialist, until such time that you want to do this yourself. And we've already got evidence, haven't we, Catherine, of people that started signposting and after a while have gone, right, brilliant, thanks for that. Now, actually, we're going to start doing it ourselves. Voila. Yeah. I mean, and signposting, it does really work. You know, we've, you know, I think at Cura, um, at last sort of counts in a sense, we've got over 600 introducing um, IFAs to us. And so, you know, it, it really does work. And, you know, these are long, ongoing relationships. And it doesn't have to be every single case. You know, if you can do something yourself, do it yourself. If you just need a specialist every now and then, use a specialist every now and then. If you don't want to do it, you know, just pass it over to a specialist rather than just leaving it there. But just going back to what you were saying um, a little bit in terms of, like, the the whole, like, you know, with um, something like income protection, if it's too expensive, you know, for somebody, we can maybe do something smaller now and then make it bigger. I mean, that's a that's quite a big thing for me as well because, obviously, I'm training people a lot. Like, we've got quite a few people joining Cura, which is good. Um, and so we've got, um, we've got six six training advisors. At the Cura moment. is the new Northern powerhouse, isn't it? <laughs> like <laughs> well, Alan keeps saying we can only get so big. As I always say, world domination is completely on the cards. <laughs> Um, is it going to be a cure towers soon? <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just have like a border around Yorkshire. Be like, this is curious place. Um, so, so now as I say, we've got all these trainings, and one of the things that I am big on as well is the fact because a lot of people don't come into this industry having any knowledge of how this industry works, or you know, sort of like how to apply this stuff. And I'm always thinking, you know, sort of like same thing, I don't want them to beat themselves up. You know, if something if they're recommending something and somebody turns around and says it's, it's just I can't afford it, then you know, it's a case of we, we don't face each other because, you know, I see these posts on social media and all this stuff. And, you know, people say, if you've done a good recommendation and all this stuff, your client's going to take it. And, and it doesn't matter what we know about the price, you know, if it's good, they'll understand. And in this case, well, to a certain extent, yes. But at the same point, there are times where no matter what you can do, if you do the best advice in the world, they're all singing, all dancing versions of everything. You know, some people might end up picking and choosing or you may have to turn on and say to you, I can't afford all that. And, you know, is there a way to make it cheaper? And you may need to do what you've said, you know, which is with an IP policy. You might need to, I don't know, extend the deferred period a bit. You might need to make it a shorter claim period for a little while. And there's, I mean, the brilliant thing about income protection is the amount that you can do to tweak it, to make it suited to that person. None of the other policies allow you to do that. And I think... It's just really important to also, because I kind of think it's a little bit dangerous to say, well, a good recommendation, people are going to take no matter what, because then I kind of feel that that puts advisors in the mindset of, well, kind of I'm all knowing and this is a perfect and people should have it because ultimately there are people who simply cannot afford. Yeah. And and this is where, yeah, this is where textbook advice and real advice, uh, are often completely different things. Yes. Uh, the other example I'd give there, by the way, is, and I've done this loads of times, is, is just take the summer short down. Yeah. We don't always have to cover 60, 65% or whatever the maximum is um, on, on individual. And, you know, it might be you say, look, I'll tell you what we'll do for the moment. Let's just cover your mortgage payments, okay? Yeah. And let's see how that goes for six months. And I, and I think this comes back to something that our industry isn't brilliant at, but should be getting better at, which is reviewing, okay? Yes. So all of my pension clients that I see and my ISA clients that I see, 
you know, automatically get a review. We're made to do that. That's a regulatory requirement. We're not good as an industry at reviewing and we're shooting ourselves in the foot there because if we did review, actually, I suspect most people's premiums over a period of time would go up, okay, because people's circumstances generally, generally head in a, in a better direction, yeah. okay, and as they earn more, get promotions or whatever the case may be, um, they probably got a few more shekels to put into the, you know, in, in, into the plan. And I think that uh, it's really important that you, you you note that properly, but always remember, right, I'm going to come back and talk to you in six months or 12 months. Now, you're going to have the diarises, okay? Yeah. The client, it's not a priority to them. So you've got to be really good at diarising yourself. But I can't remember a single client that's ever had a problem with me going back to them after a year and saying, let's do a review and let's have another look at this, okay? Yeah. I also think that sometimes this works because something's happened in their life in between them seeing you. So unfortunately, they've heard about someone being long-term ill or they've they've read about you know a celebrity having uh, uh cancer or you know the amount of people that say to me oh strokes that's what andrew marr had now mm -hmm. there are millions of people in the uk that have strokes why do we talk about this guy called andrew marr well because he's in the public consciousness yeah. and actually he talks openly about it so it might be you've done a big a, a piece of or a piece of ip but they're relatively low then they start hearing a real life situation Ah, oh, right. That's what that guy was going on about. And then when you come back, they've got that receptive audience. And I think there are plenty of us that started off on relatively small premiums with, with clients mm. uh, that have increased over, over, over the period. Um, and I think we, you have to be also just uh, you have to do the right thing here in terms of keeping an, an eye on inflation as well. And isn't it funny that inflation has been mentioned so much in the news over the last three weeks? Okay. Nobody has put inflation and protection in the same sentence until this podcast. And what I'm talking about here is keeping in touch with your summer shorts. The amount of people I've met over the years, I've said, oh, have you, have you got life? Have you got career? Have you got IP? And I said, oh, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. When, when was it last reviewed? Oh, well, when I, when I took the thing out, sometimes with a bank. Um, mm -hmm. Well, how much are you insured for? Oh, I don't know. And, and then, you know, the classic example, you go and help them find out what they're insured for. And they're insured for £25,000 because they took this thing out 15 years ago. And you talk to them about the effects of inflation on their lives. Yeah. Now, of course, psychologically, to that client, they've got a kick policy or they've got an IP policy or life policy. Okay. And actually, sometimes a summer short doesn't really matter to them at all. It's the fact that they've got one. Okay. I think it's incumbent on us as a profession to talk to people about the effects of inflation because if inflation is broadly 23 2 uh, to 2.53% per year, is your protection uh, requirement keeping up with inflation? Well, it jolly, should, it jolly well should be yeah. because probably your purchasing power, the same thing has happened. And I think that um, this is something, um, I mean, it's exactly the same principles as talked to some about their pensions, by the way, but I think this is something where we, it is incumbent on us to, to keep in touch with clients a bit better than maybe we, we do. I think that's, yeah, I think you're completely right with that. And I think as well, for me particularly is with our client base being people who have a lot of health conditions a lot of the time it's something that we that it's it's quite strange actually in some ways a cure because you know with a lot of people with health conditions you know the circumstances might have changed but obviously the terms that they can possibly get now you know as they've got further down the line possibly with progressive conditions you know gets get harder and harder but then there's other times that the underwriting can change in such a positive way. And something that I would say to people is that if you have somebody in your client bank who has a health condition, it was maybe somebody that's a bit trickier to, to get cover for, it is always worth 
having a regular kind of, you know, if you suddenly speak to an insurer about the, it's like someone else with a condition or something, you suddenly hear like really good terms, think, hang on a minute, that was so-and-so. I better have a look because I might be able to get them, get them a better deal now. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it, it's not, this is not the podcast for us to go into the recent article in the Times, which has caused, as you know, a, uh, an avalanche of, of criticism and comment. But think about that story, and I'm sure everyone's now heard about it, and what would have happened if the servicing had been done in a slightly better way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, there are some old policies out there, um, and, and some of them aren't fit for purpose anymore. But if they're just forgotten about and not looked at and not serviced, okay, this isn't just protection. This is this is this is investments and ISAs and 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 uh, um, and pensions. I can I hasten to add. Then, well, of course, these stories are going to get out and get misreported in the way that they are. So I think that um, you know we've got to remember that we have got a responsibility, and um, it's also in our interest. I mean, many of us listening to this podcast will have clients that we've had for years, okay, and they're the best sort of clients because they refer you to other clients. If they can't even remember your name, let alone what policy they've got, they're not going to refer you around, okay? Whereas I'm sure people are nodding at this part going, oh, yeah, my best 10, my best 20 clients are people that refer to me all the time. Well, that's because they know who you are and you're probably talking to them quite a lot. And I suspect those are the people that would have, not, not as accurate as we'd hope, but quite a good idea what they're insured for. Um, so again, this just comes full circle to, you know, we must we must stay in touch with people. And I also think the other the other and I've heard clients talk, talk about this out loud. Um, don't underestimate, if you teach a client um, how to actually deal with their own objections, they'll use what you've said with their people, in their, in their, with their peers, friends, family, peer group, et cetera, et cetera, because I've heard it, all right? So they might be at work going, did you know that we, uh, we only get um, three months sick pay and then it's at the employer's discretion? Well, guess what? The four or five people sitting around are going to go, what? What? Who told you that? Mm-hmm. Oh, this person called Catherine Hulse. Well, I'd like to have a chat with them. It leads to referrals, guys. Yeah. Um, and I, I promise you that. So it's in your interest to, for, for um, yeah, I mean, Utopia would be, uh, Catherine, every, every client of yours could rattle out how much life cover they got, how much IP and how much kick. But here's some bad news, Catherine. Uh, then you're not that good. Okay, so I know uh, <laughs> the ultimate aim is for them to be able to reel off all the uh, conditions listed in their kit contracts, isn't it? Probably. I mean, that's <laughs> exactly exactly. So, um, but I, I think you know we we do we do something that's not everyday chat. Okay, and and we make the industry sound much more interesting than it is. Sometimes you've got to realise a lot of what we do is quite boring for people, mm. but they should still know vaguely what they've got, and they should still remember who you are, and that's yes. the other part about keeping in touch with people. Absolutely. It's the kind of thing like we're developing um, a specific, obviously we do keep in touch with clients, but we're developing a specific department now um, in the company for making sure, keeping in touch with people, doing reviews of the policies, just so that we know it's all kind of being managed in a certain area. Um, Just because, as you say, it is so important. People have children, people get divorced, you know, and it's it's trying to make sure, because I mean, I don't know if you've ever had it, I imagine you will have had it, but you know, the amount of times that we've had people where they've got divorced and all of a sudden it's a case of someone ringing up saying, I want to cancel the policy because I don't want them getting anything from this. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, let's just try and, you know, make sure that we're going to do this in the right way. And you know, let's not just run straight into cancelling all the policies because, you know, there's still children that you may be wanting to look after. It's not just about the ex-partner. And, you know, it's uh, yeah. th- there's lots where you need to to step in and help people see the bigger picture. And, and changing jobs. You know, yeah. uh, the average person in the UK changes jobs once every four years. So let's say they had a comprehensive uh, um, income protection or crit or their, their employer. 
as they've moved to a new employer, again, I don't want to shock our viewers, but I promise you the first thing people don't ask is what's the income protection here? So it might be they had it. Yeah. You've fact-finded that. You've documented that, which is why you haven't given them income protection. They've moved somewhere else and the new employer doesn't have it. If you don't keep in touch with your customer, how are you going to know that? Um, mm. So I think, you know, yeah, <laughs> divorce is obviously the, the, uh, the negative one, but the positive one is people moving jobs uh, or getting married, all sorts of different different things. And as circumstances change, your protection needs change. That's, yeah. you know, that's just, that's pretty sacrosanct, I would say. Well, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot, Roy, if that's okay. And I'm going to ask you some questions then about Shoot that. away. If I was a brand new advisor and I was coming to you and you're training me, I'd be saying, right, what would be your response to somebody who's objecting to getting life insurance? Um, okay, so uh, first of all, I would look at, uh, what happens if they die if uh, they haven't got it? So if they've got any loans, um, and that could be mortgages or loans or, or responsibilities, um, it could be that you know having children, so and so forth. And you have to paint a scenario, okay, in a in a positive way, okay, and in a responsible way. But you need to talk to them about let's paint a scenario if you're not around and what's left to whom. Um, and, you know, if, if it's a mortgage, you know, I've, I think the easiest line to throw out there is, okay, who does the house go to if you die? They'll, they'll soon tell you who that person is. And just say, well, what, what, what would you prefer? Would you rather that person had uh, the mortgage company knocking on a door going, can we, can we have our monthly payments, please? Or would you rather have the mortgage paid off? Yeah. So that's only one example, but yeah. but generally, you know, that's the sort of, there's, there's my quick fire answer to that one. Well, you know that there's going to be a theme with this now. So what would be our response to somebody who is objecting to critical illness cover? Um, I would just look at the facts and the propensity for it to happen. You know, those stats of one in three people before 65, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think it, your exposure to financial hardship if you need time off. And I always say it's not as much about the critical illness cover. It's breathing space. Okay, I think there's a one or two, one or two insurers that call. I've used the word breathing yeah. space, but it is breathing space. <laughs> this it isn't product related. The, just uh... no, it, 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 it gives you that. Well, we're not going to mention their name, but, they know <laughs> but it gives you the ability to come back to work when you're ready. Okay, and quite often, uh, let's take heart attack as an example. Quite often, I know clients where the doctor said to them, "Look, you know, one of the reasons you've had this is stress at work or something to do with work." You need to go and sit on a beach for six months and just move away from, from the whole work scenario. And they're going, no, but I have to get back because, you know, I need to pay this and I need to pay that, et cetera, et cetera. If you've got a critical illness policy, you've created that breathing space. So you go back when you're ready, not when you're forced to go back. Absolutely. And I know we've probably talked about this in this, but just as a bit of a summary, what would be your sort of like your key things that you would do to somebody who's objecting about income protection? Uh, I would talk to them first and foremost about uh, that is the thing that's most likely to happen. Okay. And guys, you've got to have the facts and figures here. You've got to be able to roll out how many people were off long-term ill, um, you know, particularly before 65th birthdays. I would also talk to them about, you know, the one I always throw out is something we always use. I say, what, what's the two biggest causes of absenteeism in the UK, right? It's a nice little quiz for people. Not everyone gets this right, by the way, but when they realize that it is musculoskeletal and uh, mental health issues, and then you point out that income protection is the only solution for those. It does it, it does make you think again. Um, but I think going back, you, you really push the push the point on what are you getting back from your employer? Okay, go that little bit extra. Do that little bit extra for the client. They'll appreciate it, and then effectively they answer their own question. 
Yeah. Um, and then all of the minor things that we've already gone through on, on you know, too much. Um, uh, I mean, the, 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 one that, the one that always makes me smile is my parents would look after me. Okay. All right. And the easy, the easy riposte to that is that with very few exceptions, do you really want your parents to be supporting you financial, financially when they probably supported you for the first 20 or 25 years of your life? And also, is it fair on them? Okay. Yeah. And I think that's an easy line to throw away. I would, I'd, you know, my parents would look after me, but you know, I, I think you need to, you know, to think through it through in a positive way yeah. what that what that objection actually means. Absolutely, I think that's a really good example. That one. So I know somebody who's who wasn't ill, and the parents needed to look after them, and the the mum who wasn't well and really did need to retire couldn't retire because she was having to carry on and extending her retirement so that she could continue to support the child, which was um, very difficult to hear. Actually, you know, you yes. think you know just. So you've done your you've done your dues. You need to be able to retire. You know you need to be able to just enjoy life. And um, yeah. and I think as you say, I think the majority of people probably want their parents to be be in that kind of a space where they can just be sort of like you just relax. I, I, I guess the other one, and I think we've mentioned already, but just a, another quick one is is the state will look after me. And I think if you as an advisor, you don't know how universal credit works. I'm, I'm not saying you know every vagary, but you need a rough idea. Okay, you're not you're doing your client a disservice. And I think in that situation, you need to be. A, to hit them with the facts. And when someone says, I will be looked after by the state, you need to say, okay, let's, let's see what that sentence means and actually drill down. And you won't be surprised to hear that when people actually realise what they get back from the state, and I mean this apolitically, I hasten to add, but when they actually realise what they get back from the state, they tend to look at you and say, that's not enough. Yeah. Okay. And that's not enough is a very interesting phrase because what does it mean when it comes to income protection? Yeah. You've disturbed the need, they want a solution. Absolutely. I think one of the things I do sometimes is I, I think I was looking at the other day, I was doing something and um, well, advising <laughs> and, um, and I had a look and uh, and it was something like statutory sick pay. I don't know the exact thing. It was about £96 a week. And yeah. I think if you put that in front of people and just go, OK, you know, that's not going to cover most people mortgages. Yeah. SSP and, um, and, and universal credit, you just need to know about. It. And the one, the one thing you need to be very careful about is savings. Okay, and I'd advise any of our any of our um, um, listeners to look up the rules about how much you're able to claim from the state if you've got certain levels of savings. Yeah. Okay, you might be quite shocked uh, what that what what that ends up in. But but again, this is incumbent on us. We're not just doing this job, getting out of bed and just doing it. We've got to do some work. We've got to do some research. So uh, um, all of that's all of those answers, by the way are out there just probably need to go and find them Catherine and I are not going to tell you every single answer no no I'll just give little tidbits absolutely <laughs> well that probably leads on quite nicely to me unashamedly chatting a little bit about my new training course I think it kind of like fits in nicely with it so for anybody who hasn't heard I am doing a new um, training course which is protection insurance in practice and it is 13 hours of accredited CPD that's done over 12 weeks. Or oh, this week, I'm having my first run through, which I'm excited and nervous about. It's going to be... Woohoo! I know! <laughs> it's a three-day intense course. And I have warned everybody beforehand who signed up. I'm just like, just be prepared. This is going to be intense. You know, this isn't going to, it's not going to be an easy going. So as this uh, session is out, I'll be on day two, which is the... Uh, three sessions on underwriting risks so it's all about talking about the most common health conditions you're going to be coming across and what you need to to do to prepare for them as a protection advisor but it's going over things like your compliance um, needs your how to build a recommendation how to understand clients personalities how to improve your soft skills 
It's then going to effective fact-finding, gaining confirmation, client retention, vulnerable clients, claims handling, the whole kind of shebang, really. So I kind of trying to say it's not like it's kind of taking our sort of like our official kind of learning that we get in our industry and actually bringing it to life and bringing it with examples and saying, well, if you're going to be doing this, you need to do this bit with it. And if you're going to say this, then protect yourself by also doing this extra bit as well, because uh, it's no um, it's no secret that I come from a compliance background. So pretty much everything I do when I approach the advice, advice process is, where's the potential complaint? Yeah, it's like, I want to do a good job, but it's also where are the complaints coming from? I need to make sure that we're covering everything because by doing that, you actually, I think in the way that I've done it with the training, I actually think you become a better advisor because you know all the things that you can't miss because if you do, then it's going to trigger a compliance flag. And so straight away, you kind of automatically embedding it from the start. I must go over all these areas first. And I need to make sure if I've not recommended waiver of premium, why haven't I recommended waiver? But, you know, all these little tidbits and things like that that need to come out so so excited hopefully next time on the on the podcast I will be um, saying that it's been a very positive experience and I'll hopefully have lovely feedback to to share with people and um yeah um hopefully fingers crossed it's gonna go okay no very excited for you <laughs> thank you it's um yeah intense nervous but exciting so <laughs> that's about it I'm just gonna I'm, I'm kind of in panic mode a little bit I'm like right I've got two days I've got this, I've got that. There's this many award entries. I'm judging some awards. I'm doing this. I've got to still invite my clients somewhere. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, but as with everybody, I think there's uh, lots of things that we're all kind of intensely preparing for the summer holidays as well. Trying to get everything is in a, everything in row as quickly as we can, especially when the summer school you think you're going to send your children on has suddenly been cancelled. And you're thinking, oh, ah, oh Okay. <laughs> hopefully not many people in my boat with that but um but yeah is there anything else that you want to to leave everybody with uh right at the end i i think um my my message to people will be um uh signpost if you're not if you're not going to do it i think signposting is a journey whereby you can start signposting and then realize that you should be doing this yourself but my my biggest uh plea to people well two pleas firstly please stop using NA in fact finds, you know who you are. Uh, but secondly, um, there is some education that's needed. Um, and I think that it, it's that sort of duty of care, I guess we mentioned, is if you're not sure about a subject, go and find out. There's some wonderful people out there, some wonderful insurers, get up and, and sign up for Catherine's course, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 you know, protection is a great business to be involved in. Um, and we do positive things for people. And I always say the proof is absolutely in the pudding. Uh, when you have a claim and the insurance company uh, quite rightly pays out, just remember that feeling you have with that person's family uh, or, or, or kins. Um, and that makes you feel good about doing this job. And what we do is so, so important and you should take pride in it. But obviously, in order to advise on it, you've got to have the, the right skill set. So um, I would just say take objection handling in a positive way Um uh, because I think that Kevin and I both agree that there's pretty much nobody out there that doesn't need some sort of protection. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Ryan. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me for the first, yeah, first outing of season four. Absolutely. Um, it's been a lovely to have you back. So in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to be back with Matt Ran and we are going to be discussing accessing insurance when you are transgender. So um, we've just had obviously pride month and it feels like it's a really good time to be discussing this and hopefully 
to dispel some myths about what people might face when they are applying for insurance um, in terms of service and, and also in terms of the actual terms that you might get with insurance. So if anybody would like to be in mind of the next episode, please drop us a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that you can have a um, CPD accredited certificate um, thanks to our sponsors, Octo members. It's been lovely speaking to you, Roy. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.